Hello everyone, this is Mirko Guerrini and I welcome you to the Jazz Transcription Clinic, a monthly interviews podcast where we talk with accomplished jazz doctors about their lives, career and their personal secrets on the art of transcribing. If you want to improve at jazz, stay tuned and follow the Jazz Transcription Clinic on the socials for more content. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic Live. Today I will be showing you a Chet Baker solo on the George Gershwin's tune uh, but not for me. I picked this solo because I think if there's one uh, person, one musician that uh, showed great skills in how to deliver a melody, that uh, one was Chet Baker. And it is. It, it has always been very clear to me that when he plays the trumpet, he's actually think at his own voice singing. And it's not a mystery that trumpet players, trombone players, French horn players, all the brass players, uh, because they have a limited number of valves, uh, they are kind of advantaged because they have to think all the notes that they want to actually play. And I, for example, as a saxophone player, I have a bit of a disadvantage because I have a single key for each one of the notes that I want to play. And sometimes this is a limitation because uh, I can even stop listening to what I'm playing. I'm just pressing the keys. Uh, so, uh, without any further ado, let's dive into this solo. So, you can see that I'm using the same platform that I showed you last time, which is uh, SoundSlice. And this time I have already transcribed the solo because I thought that uh, the solo is pretty simple. It took me like half an hour to transcribe it, but I thought it was nice this time to talk a little bit more about uh, this solo in details. Uh, so first of all, I would like to play it for you, uh, play along with the track. So in the first part that you see here at the top, there is the verse of the song and he plays with the trumpet and here he starts singing with the voice, the actual chorus, which is ABAC, the form. And here he will start a trumpet solo, hmm? or one chorus, over one chorus. So let's go. I won't prepare because the track will start straight after. Uh, so I click here. Thank you. 
don't think I did a great job, but I haven't studied this saw yet. So I will do it and I will try to memorize it. Remember that when you want to learn a solo, it's always, always recommended that you memorize it. Because only when you memorize, you can dive really deep into all the details of uh, the solo and all the nuances and all the rhythmic placement that I'm making a player what, um, what it is. So we can recognize Chet Baker from Freddie Hubbard or from Miles Davis, even on, from how they use rhythmic placement for each phrase. Uh, so, first thing that I would like to uh, talk a little bit about in this solo is that he is a master of playing the simplest version of the melody. So, as you can see, uh, the, the verse is pretty much, you know, what he plays. And we know that jazz players, they love to personalize everything that they play, to change notes, change rhythm, add extra ideas, extra thing. Well, Chet Baker is sticking to the actual uh, written notes, the original melody. Uh, but his greatness is also how relaxed he can deliver and how he can play minimal, small changes to make that melody and to make all the repetitions that occur in the melody uh, a little bit more very a little bit more interesting. So as you can see in the first part, he starts swinging hard, but very relaxed. And guys, if you are a jazz beginner and you want to learn you know, how to make a simple melody swinging, look at this bar. Look at this couple of bars here. Do de do de do de. Except for the first beat here and the second beat, the third beat is anticipated, the fourth beat uh, is here, and the first beat of the next bar is anticipated, and the third beat here is anticipated again. And that changes the melody from probably what. Like if I play crotchet, 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 and two minims into. And it's already swinging a lot. So that's, you know, how simple, uh, but also how complex it is to, to make a melody to swing. Again, you can see here the anticipation on E flat and on C. Ba, and then we modulate to G major here. Ba, ba, da, ba, ba, do, do. Right? And again, anticipation. De, do, do, instead of. De, do, do. So this is the first thing. And then if we go to the actual uh, chorus where Chet Baker is singing the melody, po, do, do, de, again. Is the writing song. He's not playing today, today on the downbeat, but on the upbeat. 
They're writing songs of love, but not for me. And I should mark this note a little bit shorter than that. I can go to editing. Uh, just to remember that that note is accented, right? And then again, you see how many anticipations there are here. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then this is just the first A. And then right? So we know that uh, in the bridge of this song there is that constant high note, high pitch hmm, on the bridge. And Chet Baker, just uh, to reinforce what I was saying before, look, he places the E-flat, which is that top note, here on the downbeat of the three. And the second time it occurs, it's on the end of the second beat. And the third time that it occurs is again on the end of the second beat. The first time is three, three and a half beats, two and a half beats, and four beats, right? So I'm pretty sure in the original that note is always a minimum. Hmm? But he's able to place it and to, to change the length of that note as it goes, just instinctively. And that's fantastic. And then there is another A, and you can start watching for differences, similarities. So the way he starts here is exactly the same, right? The writing song. And we go here. I was a fool. Right? Uh, but the next phrase. Songs of love, but not for me. Is a slightly bit different. to fall and get that way. Potato and here it was to that to down. So you see this little little difference here in the rhythm, and that just creates a nice variation, which of course you won't notice when you um, listen to the track. And it's right, it's right. You don't have to notice those things, otherwise you will be an analyst and not a listener. Uh, but when we come to analyze and try to understand, you know, how to play this music, those are the important details that we need to understand and we need to catch. Hmm? And then look at the next phrase again. A lucky stars above. And this is. I hold and also like a day. It's very different. Same notes, exactly same notes organized in a very different way. And of course, in this case, words will play a role. So there are some words that you can stretch a little bit. There are some words that swing better if you uh, shrink, for example, or if you truncate, etc., uh, etc. Et and then again, we go to the C, which starts similarly to the uh, 
B. Although I can't dismiss the memory of her kiss, I guess she's not for me. And here again, the high note is on the downbeat of the three, like here, but here was dotted crotchet, quaver, and minim, and here is uh, two crotchets. Two crotchets and a minim. Right? Uh, again, another little difference. And then in the end, he places two big downbeats and then an anticipation for the last note. Not for and that's the melody. And now we start with the solo. What I find very, very interesting in the solo is that another thing that makes Chet Baker great is that he plays simple. Most of those lines you can learn by repeating like three or four times and you will become uh, aware and, and consistent with playing this solo. It's so simple, but yet is quite difficult to get to the core of it, which is, you know, having this wonderful relaxed feeling. Can you hear those three crotches? They are so wonderfully placed on the bar. You know, not rushed, very relaxed, very settled. Right? And there is a bit of vibrato on the on the last note. Remember with sounds lies you have always the option of loop and slow down things if you want really to right there is a strong tonguing here on this C it's almost separated from the D and the vibrato on the E flat is quite wide. At the, at the end of the note. The other thing I could notice in this solo is that he plays diatonic. Now I'm pretty sure you all know, but if there is only one person that doesn't know what diatonic means, I will talk to that person. And Diatonic, it means part of, of the same scale. So when you improvise or when you play diatonically, it means that you belong, everything that you play belongs to one single scale. In this case, we can say that he's playing pretty diatonically to the key of uh, E flat major. And we know that that is not uh, like the main characteristic, for example, of the bebop style, which likes to go chromatic, which is the other way, you know. Diatonic belongs to one scale, chromatic, it's really difficult to collocate in one key because there are a lot of chromatic notes that don't belong together to the same scale. And <clears throat> 
So in this case, he plays pretty much around the key of uh, E-flat major, except for a couple of points, uh, which are very interesting. Because when you ask yourself, oh, what note should I play there? And what are the best notes to play on that chord? Well, he's giving us uh, a great lesson here. So when the key, for example, in the A section, the key is pretty much E flat major. I, I have put the chords onto the vocal part. So E flat major, so one, five, five, one, one, two, five, five, one. And then the one becomes the dominant of the four. This is a super typical. There are a million tunes that do this kind of uh, temporary modulation to the four, which in our case is F A flat major. And there is a peculiarity here. The only note that is not diatonic here, so diatonic will means that in E flat major you will have three flats, B flat, E flat, and I flat. In this case, we have a B natural. A B natural is actually a ritardo, it's called a delay, or an appoggiatura, we could call, uh, using another Italian word, um, which is actually leading into the C natural, which is the actual note that we want. Mm? And this is a normal procedure. You know, when you have a 5-1, a perfect cadenza, you can resolve, and especially on the third, on the major third, you can resolve and delay the resolution a little bit. Mm? A little bit, in order to create a little bit more tension. And this B natural, mm? occurs also <coughs> sometimes in the solo. You see here, there is a B natural here. There is a B natural here. Now, another reason could be that, like in this case, I suspect that he's thinking in C minor, around C minor, so he simply plays the leading tone. But, you know, there is a reference in, in those things that we can notice. So there is this appoggiatura, which is the only note that is not uh, diatonic in the A. And there is another appoggiatura here, the A natural over E flat major. So it's the sharp 11 resolving onto the fifth, but it's actually the same procedure, right? Same melodic procedure. And it's wonderful. I love that A natural. Here, this chromaticism leading into the B flat. I love it so much. It's so gorgeous, so tasty. That note. Hmm? Um, and then, if we are going back to look at the solo, uh, the other instance where we don't have a diatonic note is this G flat here. And this G flat here. So now we might think, what is that G-flat about? Hmm? Let's have a listen. Actually, let's listen at full speed. So here he's playing basically a little twirl around the F. It's pretty reasonable. You know, every time you want to hold the note 
you always have that option, you know? Right? That's pretty typical. Uh, but in this case... Right. So we are here in this section. A flat, or maybe we are... Uh, yeah, yeah, we are here. A flat major into A flat minor 7, D flat 7. And this is exactly where there is A flat minor 7 and the G flat is the seven, the minor seventh of A flat. So he's changing the G natural that he just played into G flat because he's aware that the harmony changes a little bit. But another thing that Chet Baker surely knows is that the G flat is also the blue note of E flat major. So if you play E flat blue scale, the second note will be uh, G flat. Right? So that note creates, it, it's part of that chord, but also creates that bluesy sound. And it also plays a little bit flat because the blue note we know is not exactly minor third. It's you know a bit flatter than that. Da, 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 sliding down onto the uh, E flat. I wrote it here F sharp because we are going chromatically up. So the your uh, theory teacher will tell you that you have to write F sharp there. And then another twirl around the, the C and then the B natural here. And this is clearly the leading tone to C minor hmm? as the next one. Uh, now, one more note that is out of the diatonic scale of E flat major is this D flat. But again, we are here in the in the form, uh, actually here, before the C, and the chord is E flat 7, and we are heading to the 4, to the A flat major. And of course, E flat 7, if you want to highlight the fact that from E flat major, we dominantize that chord and we put a minor 7, you, you can do by playing the tonic, going down to the major 7, going down to the flat 7. And that will highlight Hmm? Right, and then you resolve onto A flat major. Let's have a listen. Beautiful, it creates a beautiful tension. And he states just here, just a moment before, he states, hey, we are in E flat major. You see this arpeggio here? This is E flat major ninth, going to the tonic, major seven, flat seven, tonic. And this is the sixth, but we are heading into A flat major, so it announces the new key that we are heading to.
okay? And then one of those beautiful Chet Baker long phrases. This is a bit similar to what we have seen here. But on a different note. And E flat F, F sharp, G is also here. As you can see, E flat sharp, E, e flat F, F sharp, G. And this phrase is beautiful. And for once, he decided not to end the solo at its natural ending, which will be here, but because the track continues, so here on this bar, there will be, they will be playing another five chord, which is B flat seven. So instead of finishing the solo here, he wants to leave and to lead into the next solo, and he plays, of course, the note F, which is the fifth of B flat seven. Hmm? Um, so I, I think, you know, that could be all for today. I hope you enjoyed this little explanation and do a little bit of check backer every day and you will become a better person for sure. I'm trying, I'm trying hard. If you liked this video and this episode of the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast to have news and updates and to be the first to download each episode as soon as it comes available or subscribe to my YouTube channel if you like what I'm doing and please uh, drop me a line if you think I can improve or do things in a better way or make suggestions on your next solo that you want me to transcribe for you. Uh, thanks again and see you and hear you next time.